Hey everybody, just a quick uh, request. If you're way out on the wings, if you could kind of move a little to the middle so those people f come in, they have a place to sit on the outside. I'm sorry to inconvenience you, but it would be helpful if you could do that. Just kind of mash in a little more. Thank you, appreciate it. Probably should have tuned my guitar before then, but anyway. Good morning. He is risen. Good morning. Amen. So good to have you all here this morning, and uh, we're just going to, yeah, lift up the name of Jesus. Just everybody on this stage here, so life has been transformed by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we just want to sing about that today. Would you join us?
One of these days I'll get organized, maybe. Here we go.
where he lay see the stone rolled away he is risen he is risen he's alive see his hands see his feet touch the skies and believe he is risen he is risen he's alive oh he's alive he Breaking free, hear the song of the redeemed. He is moving, he is moving, he's alive. Take this freedom, take this love. Can you feel it rising up? He is here, he is here, he's alive.
This morning, come on, sing it with me. He is risen, he is risen, he's alive. He is risen, he is risen, he's alive. Yeah, he is risen, he is risen, he's alive, and he lives. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. That's how Jesus began his ministry. And three years later, he said, it is finished. And his, his followers thought it was. That was a horrible Friday as they took his lifeless body off of the cross and laid it in a tomb. But very early on the third day, when the women went to prepare his body, they couldn't find it. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And over the next hours and days and weeks, they saw Jesus, they ate with Jesus, they talked with Jesus. And before he ascended back to heaven, he gave them a seed to plant. He gave them a message to share that just as I have new life, you also may have new life in me. Welcome to Rimrock Church. That's why we're here. And that's what you'll hear today. Turn to Jesus and believe the good news.
know about you guys, but that made me cry. <laughs> wow.
Lord, I am. God is good. Thank you, Lord, that you are in this place today, God. We sense your presence among us, Lord. And we just want to lift you up. A big thank you for all you've done.
so many ways, God, but you are crazy about us. You love us. How can this be? And Father, this morning, as Evan and Ben come up to share your truth, God, give us ears to hear. Every person in this place, God, tear away the veil that keeps our eyes from seeing you for who you are. And we ask that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. teacher and miracle worker was brutally murdered and then buried for three days. But now he has risen from the dead. Take a moment to consider what this means. A person who was confirmed dead. A spear was thrust into his side and as an eyewitness reported, blood and water then came out. This is most likely the separation of the heavier red blood cells and the lighter plasma, something called hemothorax, which happens when the a body gets still, when the heart stops beating. Jesus' lifeless body was then placed into a tomb, which was guarded by Roman soldiers. But then three days later, the same, he is risen. He is risen indeed. It begins to spread around Jerusalem. When in all of human, humanity, human history, has this ever happened? Never. When it comes to probability, there is a 0% chance of a person coming back to life after they have been dead for days. It doesn't matter how healthy their diet was or how positive their vibes were. When a person is dead, they are dead. There is no coming back. 
Would you guys agree? But then there was, really, there is Jesus, a man unlike anyone or anything else. As you ponder this unbelievable historical event, you may be wondering, did it really happen? What if his disciples simply stole the body from the tomb, hid it, and then created the lie that Jesus had risen? Let me give you a couple things to consider. The first, his disciples, they were ordinary and poor fishermen. There is no way that they could have outfought armed Roman soldiers at the tomb. Even if they did, with the amount of power behind the religious leaders that had him crucified, the disciples could have never kept that body hidden. Second thing, all throughout Acts and Paul's, Peter's, and John's letters, most of what we know is the New Testament, there is not a single mention of any of Jesus' men looking to gain glory or riches out of Jesus' resurrection. If these men had created this elaborate lie of Jesus coming back to life, there is no way that they would have been willing to give up all that they had, even their lives, for the sake of a lie. Because the message that they were spreading, that he is risen, because it is a fact, that is why everything changed in the Western culture. No other set of principles or deeper beliefs on reality have ever impacted the world the way that Jesus' resurrection did. So much of the valuable things in our culture, things like democracy, equality, that notion of personal freedoms, they all trace directly back to Jesus and his teachings. There are numerous historians, both Christians and not, that have discovered this fact. Now is the appropriate time to ask that question, why? Why did Jesus' teachings have the ability to make such a profound impact on our culture? It's because of who it came from. Jesus has power like no one else. Consider this logic. If Jesus has the ability to conquer the unconquerable, if he has power over death, then this means that he can also bring life like no one else. To help us understand this principle a little deeper, think about a desert a place like Death Valley. Now, what makes a desert a desert? Lack of water. Now, what happens to life in a place like this? Can it exist? No. Why? Because water is essential to life. So thinking logically, how would we be able to eliminate a dead and barren place like Death Valley? Simply bring it what it needs. Water. Now back to the reason behind our analogy. Can water only eliminate a desert? Is that why it exists? No, of course not. By its very nature, water has the ability to bring life. Check out this video.
Jesus, he is just like water. Not only does he have the ability to conquer death, by his very nature, he is the source of life. This is why his teachings have brought about the essential life-giving principles into our world, and this is why he will one day be able to provide all that is promised in Revelation 21. Because he not only overcame the grave, he is the source of all life. Let's read Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. As a church, we've been studying through the book of Revelation over the past three months. Man, this has definitely been a wild ride, hasn't it? Throughout all of the revelations that John received, it definitely shows us two things. First, that evil is being and will continue to be judged for the choices that we make. Specifically, when we choose to reject our creator and then elevate ourselves to the kings and the queens of this life. But it also has been showing us that through it all and in the end, Jesus will be fully victorious. And in the verses we just read, it is letting us know what it will look like. Let's take a moment to unpack it and think through what was just described. The passage begins with John seeing a new heaven and a new earth. In verse 5, the one seated on the throne states that he is making all things new. You know, as I've been meditating on this and, in looking, and looking into different supporting verses and various commentators, for me, I see this as Jesus, the Alpha, the alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the source of life. Here I see him restoring life as we know it back to its original design, the one we see in Genesis 1 and 2. This means that one day, the physical planet Earth will be a place without death, without mourning and crying and pain. It will be a place where only the opposite will exist, things like life and joy, fulfillment, purpose. Imagine what your life will be like then. This isn't an ethereal plane where we sit on clouds listening to some fat baby playing the harp, right? Whoever created that image fully skewed the world's perspective on heaven. The heaven that we are seeing being described in Revelation 21 is a world much like we know now that has been regenerated or transformed back to the way it is always intended to be. This is a place where we can each build our lives, find our purposes, and experience contentment by living out of our individual God-given talents. 
And this time around, we won't have to trudge through the mess of the corruption that we brought on through our selfishness and our sin. At this point, you might be wondering, as I have been, how is this even possible? A world very much like the one we know, but without any of the problems that we experience each and every day, how could this happen? It's because of Jesus, right? Our creator and our savior, he will radically transform each of us. He will also restore nature, yes, but even more profoundly, he will change us, the ones who are continually creating the problems, right? We bring problems into each people's lives, and he will recreate us into people who only live the way that he created us to live, fully, fully and sincerely loving him and one another. We see this metaphorically shown in verse 2. As his beautiful bride, right, we are dressed beautifully. We have been fully purified from all of our selfish tendencies and given a new heart, otherwise known as a transformed mind, emotions, and willpower that strive to do only whatever our creator designed us to do. In verse 3, we see that in our transformed state, God himself will be with us. We, his people, will be hanging out with the almighty creator of everything. Out of this relationship, we will, then get, get, we will then get direction and insight on how to live. We will be inspired and empowered to do what is right. To create a world the way that it was always designed to be. For me, in this passage, I so clearly see stated that throughout all of the eternity that follows this momentary existence we will be used by God to accomplish his will and his purpose in the world that he has recreated. We will be given the freedom and the power and the responsibility to be caretakers of this new hope. And I hope this is creating a feeling within you of wonder and excitement. There will be a day when all of the cancer of this world will be gone and we will have the privilege to find purpose and enjoyment in a place without death without mourning or crying or pain. In verses 6 through 8, we see how a dream like no other will happen. Once again, it's all because of Jesus. He is openly offering the water of life to anyone who wants it. Anyone. It doesn't matter who you are now or where you've come from. It doesn't matter the things that you have done or the things that you will do. Your invitation into a world and then a life like no other is waiting for you. Jesus offered this same thing to a woman who was tangled up in her own mess of adultery in John 4. You got those verses? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty the water I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. All we have to do to get this life-giving water is to conquer that innate belief within each of us, the one that we all have that we believe, man, I really don't need God. The moment we recognize our thirst, our need for something bigger and better than what is found in this world, and then go to the source of life, the water that will lead to eternal life will be given to us without cost. Did you catch that? Free. A never-ending, world-changing gift will be ours. 
because of this, we will someday be a part of the recreated and transformed reality. Now, if I'm honest, which I need to be, as incredible as all this sounds, I seem to naturally go back to rational thinking, which struggles with this idea. A new heaven and a new earth? Really? It's so far out of what I've experienced, and so it's so hard to comprehend. I imagine others in here can relate with this. But if I'm willing to continue to examine this logically, I see that it really isn't that hard to believe. Because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, the fact that he overcame death, because of the ways that Jesus' life and teaching transformed our culture for the better, because of the power Jesus has already shown, why couldn't he also make things, all things new in the physical realm? I hope you're following my logic. And what's incredible, these two pieces of supporting evidence, they aren't all we have. We also have our individual stories. So many of us in this room have been transformed by the power of Jesus. He already has shown us that he has the ability to recreate. Our lives are testimonies to the reality of what Jesus can do. I believe Ben has a story to share. No one could ever take that away from me. But I had this besetting sin of fear. And as God was calling me to share with others, to share what Jesus was doing, I kept bumping up into this fear. I was so afraid. And uh, I remember so clearly living in Chicago. And uh, I heard about a group of people that would go out onto the streets of Chicago, into Michigan Avenue, into downtown areas, and they would proclaim Jesus. And... Uh, and the Holy Spirit showed in me, Ben, I, I want you to do that. <laughs> and that was the most terrifying thing I could ever think of. I couldn't see myself doing it. It was impossible for me. And uh, God knows that this isn't a self-improvement story because there was nothing I could improve. There was nothing I could do to change. Uh, but I cried out to Jesus because I said, I want, I want to tell the world the good news about what you've done in me and what the, the reality of the resurrection is, is doing something. It's changing me. It's making me into something new. And I want to tell people, but I have this fear. And so I went uh, to the streets of Chicago, and uh, trembling, <laughs> nervous, I began on Michigan Avenue to share about the love of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he rose from the grave to give me new life. And, and you know what happened? People ignored me. <laughs> 
People laughed at me. People thought I was crazy. But you know what happened? A miracle happened, a resurrection miracle. I was okay. <laughs> I had peace in my heart because I knew my identity was in God, that I was his son, and that no one could ever take that away from me. And I identified with the sin of Peter who, de who denied Jesus three times. Many, many times I had denied Jesus. I wasn't able to share with others, but, but God did a miracle in me. He took away my fear. And I'm standing here before you today, much like I can imagine Peter after he saw the resurrected Jesus, because just a few days before he was cowering and denying that he ever knew Jesus, but he stood on a public place and he proclaimed that Jesus is Lord and that he was risen from the dead. And that day, 2,000 people came to Christ. That didn't happen in Chicago. I didn't see 2,000 people come to Christ. But over 20 years of sharing Jesus, I've seen many, many people come to faith in Jesus. I've seen many people blessed with what he's done in my life and being able to share that with others. And you know what? Who gets the glory? Jesus, because he rose from the grave and he's rescued me and made me new. Jesus has proven in countless ways that he has the power to do what no one or anything else can do. Because of this proof, today you can confidently know that one day you have the ability to live in a recreated planet, a place full of life, a place where joy, fulfillment, and purpose are the main staple of our daily life. When you consider this now, it has the ability to give you hope, which naturally leads to more joy, fulfillment, and purpose today. But we can't stop there because Revelation 21 isn't over yet. We still have another 18 verses left that show us that this paradise is more than just a personal heaven. It is for the entire people of God. Revelation 21 this morning. But I just, I just want to say, you know, having two, two preachers isn't normal, but I, I think God has asked us to do this for a reason, because he wants us to understand what Revelation 21 is saying, and it's not just about us as individuals. It's not just about Evan. It's not about me. It's about God and what he's doing. And so Evan and I joked about how maybe it's a little awkward if both of us are up here, but, but let's not miss what God is doing and what he's revealing in chapter 21. Would you look at, with me at verse 9, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with a glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of every, a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there were three gates in the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. On them were the names, the names of the 12 apostles and of the Lamb. 
And the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. And as wide and high as long, the angel measured the walls using human measurement. And it was 144 cubits thick. And the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onks, the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, and the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jasith, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each gate made of a single pearl. Now that's a pearl. <laughs> The great streets of the city were of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it, and nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will there be anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So why did Jesus rise from the grave? He's creating all things new. And in this passage, we see that there's a new city it's God's city. We see there's a new people, God's people. And we see there's a new temple, God's temple. Notice that God is the center of it all. <laughs> that it's a story not just about us, but ultimately about God. But God includes us in his story. He invites us to be blessed and to receive what only he can give because we can't Achieve resurrection our own. Only Jesus is the resurrection of life, and only He can make all things new. Notice the city, a city. In Revelation, we've been introduced to the city of man. It's called Babylon. And we wonder, why is the world so broken? You know, you could take anyone from any political tribe, any persuasion. We can all agree on one thing. This world is broken. It's not as it should be. Everyone agrees. And the Bible tells us the reason for that is because of our sinfulness, our rebellion against God, our pride, our selfishness, our idolatry. All those shameful things have caused destruction and brokenness. And so man is unable to achieve life. We can't do it. And so notice in verse 10, what does it say? That this city of God comes from heaven. God makes the city. We were designed to live in God's city, not our own. Our own is broken. Our own is fallen. Our own is fallen away. But God's city is being built, and it's beautiful, and it's coming from heaven. It's coming from God. Verse, verse 10 tells us it's Jerusalem. This is good news, that God is faithful to his promises, that throughout the Old Testament there was a longing that Jerusalem would be the place of dwelling with God and his people. And here we see that God is faithful to his promise to Israel, and he's faithful to his promise that he will make a new people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. God is faithful. And look at verse 11, that it's shown with the glory of God. 
Today, you go to big cities like Chicago, New York, you go uh, to big cities around the world, and it, it reflects man's glory. But if you dig deeper underneath, it's filled with brokenness and violence and shameful things, dark things. Cities are dangerous places, but not God's city. It shines with God's glory, and He is the temple. It's a lasting home. In this world, we try to find our home, we renovate houses, we build amazing structures, we, we try to create communities, but they always fail. They always leave us empty. They always leave us broken, never fully satisfied. But we were made for God's city, our everlasting home, a home where we can live free from sin, free from our brokenness, free from tears, free from sorrow and pain. This is God's city. But notice the language here isn't just about a city, it's about a people. Ultimately, it's about a people. Did you know that you are precious? In fact, John tells us that God's people are described as precious jewels. That is how God sees you. That's how he sees me. That's how he sees every person, every born on this planet, precious to him so precious that he was willing to come into this earth to be sacrificed, to die on the cross, because he saw your value, he saw my value, he saw the value of every person. And so the people of God are seen as precious and valuable. And so what we see is not just a city, we see a people being brought together. Tonight, today is a foreshadowing of that reality that God is calling a people to be his very own. I want to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 9. As you come to him, the living stone, that is Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, so just as Jesus is precious, you are precious, and you also, like living stones, this is what John is talking about in Revelation, that we are being built together as living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you see your worth? Do you see your value? Do you see God's purpose that he wanting, is wanting to choose you to be part of this? For scripture says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. Some of you here today are stumbling, you're struggling. Will you accept Jesus? Will you receive him as the son of God? Will you receive the truth that he died for your sins and that he rose from the grave? You have a choice. We all have a choice. But verse nine, but you who believe are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see what God is doing? He's making us new now, today. Yes, there will be a future glory, but that glory begins now. And what Peter is saying here, what Revelation is saying, is that God's new creation, that newness of life is beginning right now. And it's not just individual. It's not just personal. Yes, it is personal, but it's more. Our stories are being woven together. 
I believe Evan has a story for us this morning about how God is doing this right now. Seven years ago, I suffered what's known as a TBI, traumatic brain injury. I was out rock climbing and was lowered out of my belayer's device, falling 30 to 40 feet. Among many other injuries, the back of my head smashed against the rock, causing my brain to ricochet within my skull, which is something that you never want to have happen. God's hand was a part of my recovery from day one. The neurologist told my family that at the very best, I would be conscious, but most likely have no ability to actually live. But when they brought me out of my drug-induced coma and saw my men mental capabilities, that same neurologist said that this is miraculous. Over the past seven years, though, it hasn't been easy. When a person takes a shot to the noggin like that, there are major ramifications that occur within their day-to-day -day life. But because of the community that God has surrounded me by, you guys, I have been able to hold on to hope through the hardest times. Now, there are a lot of different examples I could give of this church, the people of God coming alongside and helping me in my struggle, but let me just give you one this morning. About three years into my recovery, I started to have what's called partial seizures. Now, the reason they're called partial is because they aren't full epileptic seizures, the ones where a person's body is completely out of control. But when they occur, right, they're slight in comparison, but they're still extremely debilitating. Now, it seems like it's different for each person. Depending on where the scar tissue is formed in their brain causes different forms of seizures. For me, out of nowhere, I would get a strong feeling of deja vu, something that had no clue what it was, almost dreamlike, and then it was followed by a really intense adrenaline rush, sometimes two of them, the same type that you get when you're plummeting down in a roller coaster. In all, it would last only about two minutes, really not too bad. But in the five or ten minutes that followed, I was unable to put to words any form of conscious thought. Whenever I tried to speak, random words would come out. Now, I know this isn't too bad in comparison to what other people experience, but as a public speaker, this is not what you want to have happen. I had four different partial seizures while preaching at Rimrock Downtown. In the middle of a sermon, I would feel that deja vu starting to come on, and I knew at that point it was all over. Those four different times, I was fully unable to continue to teach God's word for a solid five to seven minutes. For any other person in this position, being unable to do their job, it would have been a game changer. But not for me. You know why? It was because of the ways my community stepped in to support and encourage me. Each time it happened, someone would walk up from the crowd, grab the mic out of my hand, which needed to happen, and let everyone know what was going on. Then they would pray for me. Everyone in that room would pray for me. They wouldn't get annoyed that it was happening again and walk out. No, they would come alongside me and show me the compassion, right? And patiently wait for me to be able to once again speak. And then I would continue to teach where I had left off. Because of the ways that you all approach my brokenness, because of the ways that you handled my weakness in the same way that God always has, I didn't walk away from my position as a teacher, even though I heavily considered doing it. Your support allowed me to hang on to the hope that one day it would pass. And you know what? It did. In the same way that Jesus will someday recreate heaven and earth, he has regenerated my brain. 
It's been a solid year and a half since I've experienced a seizure. Because of the love of the people of God, I was continued to hang on, to hold on to my hope until God made all things new. Amen. You see, the good news of Jesus' resurrection isn't just a past or future good news. It's good news for us today because we are being made into new creations individually but corporately. God is making us into that spiritual house. The final thing I want to look at in Revelation 21 is God's temple. And if you know the Bible, if you know the scriptures, you know everything is pointing to this reality. We're going to go to Genesis after our, our Revelation series as a church, and we're going to see that God's initial purpose, initial design, as Evan talked about, as creator of all living things, was ultimately that it would be a temple for his glory, that he alone would be magnified and glorified above all else. Look at what Ephesians chapter 2 says, verse 19 and 20, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Whose household? God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Remember in Revelation 21, the names of the foundations, the names of the gates, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's astounding that God wants to dwell with his people. Because of our sin separating us, we couldn't. But because of the cross and because of the resurrection, that sin is being done away with. And the reality of the Holy Spirit in us, transforming us, into new creations, is preparing for the day when everything will be made new. Now I want you to notice the dimensions in Revelation 21 describe the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament temple. But the dimensions cover the whole face of the earth. If you measure it out, every space that people could live on on this planet is encompassed in this picture of the city and the people and the temple. What is God saying? There's room for everyone. There's room for everyone. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on what he is doing. And so maybe you're here this morning, and you know your story. You know your sin. You know your shame. You know those hidden parts that no one else knows. But God knows, and he doesn't turn away from you today. Today is the day of salvation. He invites you to bring that to him to open up your heart to him, to bring your sin, bring it to the cross. And Jesus said, I paid for that. I made a way so that you could be in the Holy of Holies with me and so that you too can be part of this spiritual house, this people, this city, this new creation. I love what D.A. Carson says, you are not suffering anything that a good resurrection can't fix. Uh -huh. Amen? <laughs> That's what Jesus is doing, and he's going to do it for you. Just believe, confess, receive it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 60 because I think John the Apostle, as he was writing down these words from Revelation, he had Isaiah 60 open. Arise, shine, 
for your light has come and the glory of the Lord, he rises upon you. See, darkness, it covers the earth and thick darkness over all the peoples. But, aren't you glad that's not the end of the story? But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. It's talking about God. Your sons, they come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. And then you will look, and you will be radiant, and your heart will throb, and it will swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come, and no longer, no longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. For you will call your walls salvation, and your gates will be praise. And the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God, he will be your glory. And your sun will never set again, and your moon will never wane no more. And the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Amen? Your days of sorrow will end. Then all your people will be righteous, and they will possess the land forever, and they are the shoot that I have planted. Remember that video, that seed? They were the shoot that you have planted. It is the work of my hand, says God, for the display of my splendor, says the Lord. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do it swiftly. Did you hear that? In its time, I will do it swiftly. Let's proclaim this truth together. He is risen. He is risen, risen indeed. in this room but particularly if you have never trusted Jesus think about these words are you hurting and broken within overwhelmed by the weight of your sin Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. He says, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Jesus is 
Hundreds of people who, like me, their lives have been transformed by a personal encounter with Jesus. And I had these friends trying to talk to me about Jesus in high school and college, and I just pushed them away because I thought I knew better. And I was, you know, playing in a rock and roll band, chasing girls and smoking dope. And I was so empty. And finally, I said, okay, God, if you can change me like you've changed my friends, then take it over. And I opened his Bible for the first time and started reading the Gospel of John. And on every page, I heard God's voice talking to me. And for the first time in my life, I knew that I was loved 
and accepted and forgiven. And you have that opportunity today. If you've never done that, we've got people in this church and they've got little lanyards on and they're going to be down here in the front on the left and the right and the same up in the balcony. And if you want someone to pray with you, we would love that. That would be such a privilege for us to pray with you and introduce you to the God who has changed us and keeps changing us. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Amen. Amen. Give God a hand. He is good. If you want someone to pray with you, you during this song, you can make your way down. Spencer.
back, holy water. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Easter. Uh, drive safe, and like I say, we're going to be hanging around, so if you want to come talk to us, that'd be great. Amen. One.